Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. For the average person, probably little thought goes into electronic switches. But this technology, a device that, to get a bit technical, interrupts the electron flow in a circuit, is found in almost every mechanical or electrical product that determines whether your lights, machines, or computer systems turn off and on correctly. In this episode of Clocking In, I'm speaking with Kyle Martin, the Vice President and General Manager of ElectroSwitch Electronic Products, a manufacturer in Raleigh that thinks a lot about switches so that we don't have to. Kyle began his career as a process engineer and has international design, development, sourcing, and manufacturing experience in the UK, Germany, Portugal, and many other international countries. Kyle previously held leadership positions with Bob Barker Company, Goodyear Tire and Rubber, just to name a few. Kyle serves as the advisory board chair of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and he has also earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of North Carolina in Charlotte, and a master's degree in engineering from North Carolina State University. Kyle, thank you for taking the time for speaking with us. How are you doing today? Doing well, Phil. I appreciate that introduction. That's as nice a one of I've ever heard, I think. So. Oh, okay. So, all right. So let's, uh, you know, like most industries we talk about here, the history of switches is quite fascinating. How did you discover the world of, I guess, called electronic controls, I guess we could call it? Well, you know, Phil, when you look down my bio, I've done a lot of stuff and I've been at a lot of different companies, none of which were, you know, a follow on to one. I didn't leave one and go to another division of another type of company. I've changed companies pretty, pretty. I went from speakers to socks, to socks, to tires, tires to switch. I mean, you know, it's, there's been no rhyme or reason. A lot of folks that I work with say that's cause maybe I, I'm no good at any of that, but uh, it, it's, it's been very interesting. I started off in, you know, in automotive and in, in uh, communications and, being able to manufacture in the United States and manufacture things that were, you know, used in the United States and having um, multi-level manufacturing and vertical integration, those are things that kind of look, I look at companies, not necessarily what they do. As you can tell, I'm not looking for any flow in my career. And so I found this company that needed a leadership position and it was fascinating because we do, we're vertically integrated. We do a lot of, uh, uh, manufacturing. So I found ElectroSwitch and, and they found me and we've had a pretty good relationship for about eight years. Wow, eight years. So talk a bit about what your role is there as your vice president general manager. Well, as, as vice president general manager, I've got operating and uh, P&L responsibility for basically three locations. I've got one here in Raleigh. I've got one in Philadelphia. I have one in Mexico. 
And until recently, we had one in uh, Connecticut. And the one in Connecticut, we're merging with the one in, in uh, Pennsylvania. I'm responsible for, for everything. I, we, we, develop, we develop our forecast. We develop our budget. We, we deliver income to our owners. And my job is to make sure we've got a sustainable infrastructure so we can continue to deliver income to our owners. Yeah, I mentioned in the intro that you were on our advisory board and your chair and we, you know, we interact pretty often, but, you know, many times I reach out to you and you're not in Raleigh, you're at one of your other places. And so I was wondering, you know, what has it been like during the pandemic to have a responsibility with multiple facilities? Are you still kind of flying around like you used to? Not, not as much, uh, only if necessary. Uh, we, we're very cautious. We implemented a lot of protocols, like I'm sure a lot of other folks did. We've got social, physical distancing. I hate to call it social distancing. We've got physical distancing. We've got the masks. We've got temperature checks. We've got all those things, and it seems a little frivolous for me to fly someplace when I can have a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting. So we've, we've replaced a lot of our physical meetings with Zoom meetings. If I have to go someplace, I, I obviously will, and it's for a reason that I can't do over some sort of a remote call like this. So it's, you know, we've tried to reduce that as much as we can, Phil, but uh, it's been disruptive. We, we can't visit our customers. We, we need to visit our customers, and having our customers scared to interact with us is not a real good decision. I feel like we are in a good economic position in our company, as well as a lot of other manufacturers. I think we saw a surge this year, and, and then we sort of artificially stopped it through the pandemic. So the pandemic has been a real disruptor to our business. It, we are significantly down as a result of multiple, multiple market sectors all of a sudden just stopping in place. Yeah, just because I guess, like you said, maybe we before we met, just because they can't get to the plan or they just couldn't do things because of the pandemic, right? I mean. Yeah, we, we are, well, you know, we, we were, most of our businesses were identified as essential businesses within our states pretty early on. So we never really showed any disruption, but some of our suppliers aren't necessarily completely engaged with people who are essential. And if a part of their business falls away and we remind, and we wind up being a larger percentage and it's not such a percentage that lets them run at full capacity, we wind up having some supply issues because lead times go out, you know, we can't, we can't get, and you know, to have a lead time disruption in the middle of a, of a fabrication assembly process is going to disrupt our lead times too. So that's, that's been a supply chain issue that we've run into quite a bit is our suppliers just can't keep up because they can't run at full capacity. And our business has also suffered here in Raleigh. We're not running at full capacity. We're, we're, you know, we're having to, to run short weeks and things of that nature. In fact, this coming week, we're going to be shut down because we just don't have the demand. And it's not because our businesses that we do business with are not healthy. It's just, there's no orders. If, if nobody's flying airplanes, there's no need to build airplanes and et cetera. Yeah. So you talked about your supply chain disruption. I mean, is that is that domestic? Uh, do you guys bring things from outside of the states into your plant? Very, very little. Very little. We we are mostly a North American sourcing company and a North American supply company. We we ship things around the world. 
And we have gotten business as a result of uh, like Chinese competitors not being able to deliver. We've actually grown our business in some some areas, but we ship things around the world, but we get them from a relatively small area, mostly try to manufacture. We manufacture a lot of our stuff ourselves. So we source materials and parts that we buy. We try to source them in the United States. We have some parts that come in from China and they, they have hurt because they've, they've extended their lead times many, many weeks. In fact, we had to find alternate sources as a result of some of our Chinese die-cast components. We had to find alternate sources for that. Yeah, and that's a big part of what we're doing in our program now with our CARES Act funding is to really support challenges like that, you know, where people can't get things from China and, and trying to find some alternate sources. And so it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting problem. And I guess it's not always easy to find an alternate source here in the States. Is that, are you in a place where you could easily do that? You know, it's hard to find sources for certain things. We make, we have a very, what I'll call a very mature product. People don't think about the products that we make. Uh, they're usually hidden, but if you interact with something and it gives you some sort of feedback, the likelihood it had a switch associated with it. So, so there are certain things that we that that are so mature that finding people that do those types of things anymore, it, we're lucky to have one or maybe two. And so when one of them starts to fall we have to sort of say, well, maybe we should insource that. Maybe we should do that ourselves. We have fabrication yeah. capacity. So we've done that. We've added, we've actually added capital resources to be able to bring business in that we found that suppliers couldn't supply anymore. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So talk about the, just a few of the applications that the, your switches are used for. Uh, okay. There, we have switches that are used on uh, flight decks, avionics controls. We have switches that are used in speed controls and coders. We have switches that are for pickups and guitars. We have switches that turn on sirens and ambulances and police vehicles. We have mm -hmm. switches and connectors that are used in uh, ventilators, respirators, medical control, defibrillators. Wow. We have switches that are used as arming systems for bombs. We have switches and indicators that are used on airplanes. So we've, we've got a, we, we have missile control switches, gyro switches, mail sorter switches, solenoids and things of that nature. Wow. So, I mean, I, when you talk the first one, I, I'm always thinking about, you know, you see on these TV shows where you're in this cockpit and they're flipping up these, you know, flipping <laughs> these switches. <laughs> you know, that's what I think about when I think of a switch, but I guess it switches can be like buttons or, uh, all kinds of different they, they can be rotary switches, toggle switches, rocker switches, push button switches, push button indicators, things of that nature. And what you'll find is in a lot of cockpits, not a modern cockpits anyway, they've gone to glass controls. They're touch screen controls and things like that. You see those when you walk into a modern airliner, you see all these switches around them, but you see these big big screens and they're nice high resolution color screens. A lot of those screens are touch switches, uh, touch screens. But what you, what you do find with pilots when you start talk, talking to pilots is they, in, in tough times, and they're reaching down to do some sort of a trim control or they want to change the radio uh, frequency. They don't want to swipe across the screen anymore. And you want to have to play with a, with a phone screen in your car while you're traveling, especially if you're traveling over bumpy roads. You want to be able to reach out and know where that control is and be able to dial it up three notches and feel it three notches and know that you've done what you want to do. So haptic feedback is, you know, that's the stuff that is, uh, we've actually designed switches that normally wouldn't have any haptic feedback, but have feedback so that it replicates what a 
pilot is used to feeling like in a helicopter or something like that. So, oh, so I guess that's the little you talk. Is that the little notches that you feel when you like turn something? Is yeah. that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. You, you, you know you, that, you, you that take your knob in your car and you just kind of rotate it. You'll feel it go click, 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 click. I mean, you, you and and those are detents and those are made for you to understand that you're making a difference. Otherwise, you, you might not feel like you are making a difference. Mm-hmm. All right, you listed off several things that, that your switches are good for, and I guess one of the good questions we have here, and you may have a hard time answering this, is what are one of the most interesting things you've made a switch for? One of the most interesting things we make a switch for is to a, a helicopter-mounted multi-port rocket launcher. It, it, it is a extremely delicate, high-precision device that is that runs off of a solenoid and it will fire 19 rockets in some uh in some pattern out of a rocket launcher Hmm. it had it that rocket launcher had the highest efficiency rating and they measure that in in kill ratios and stuff like that had the highest efficiency rating in the afghan theater of any weapon system that the united states military deployed so your switch makes the the missile go from the launcher? The, the, the switch actually indexes the rocket launcher. It's a rotary rocket launcher. And so what our switch does is it indexes the rocket launcher. And it'll fire 19 missiles like like that out of a pod on the side of a helicopter. Oh, boy. So it has to work, right? It has to work every time. That's the, that's <laughs> the interesting thing about most things that are Department of Defense, uh, like our bomb switches. They don't have to work but once, but they better work once. Well, you talked about several industries that you're involved in, and you know, is uh, is the military kind of a key to you guys? And uh, you see it, it is a we're very we're our markets are very diverse. Phil, most of the times we can weather a lot of different change in the economy because one market kind of makes up for another market. But when you kind of stall them all out at the same time, that's what's hurt us. The military, you know, mil- we, we don't have anybody that's more than ten percent. The military is about ten percent of our business. So I guess that work has continued to, to go. Uh, right it does. Now. It's and, program related and it kind of goes as it goes. You know, that's one of those things that it's all program timing and regardless really of the economy that has its own kind of life cycle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's gone on pretty much the way it has been. Medical has been significantly boosted for us this year as have what you, it was, and it's odd. It would be the audio and music portion of our business. What about automotive? We don't have a lot of presence in automotive, and that's by by choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, automotive's tough, isn't it? It is. I've been in two businesses that were automotive uh, based. That that's a hard business to be in, and it's a business that if you could find a way out, you probably would, and not get back into it if you didn't have to. So, but well, it does is- learn. It does teach you a lot. The, you know, the automotive business is very rigorous. I mean, and it has to be so. It's extremely interesting to have worked in automotive environments and non-automotive environments and see the difference because there is a lot of rigor in automotive that makes you better, I think, other places. What do you see in the future for switches? I mean, is there some new technology around switches that's coming down that your guys are involved in? And what do you, what do you see as the direction of that? Do you feel like that what you guys do with the switching is kind of a stable thing that's going to be around or is it can can it be disrupted by technology it, it can and has been disrupted by technology a lot of the mechanical electromechanical switches those devices have been replaced by 
touchscreen controls and things of that nature. So yeah, we've, we've been, like we're fond of saying, we've been in a market that's about to go extinct for about 45 years now. Uh, it's like the paperless environment. I wish I'd bought warehouse the first time I ever heard that term. But mm-hmm. I think switches have, a, switches have a, a place where, like I said, you know, a pilot doesn't want to reach down and swipe a screen. He wants to reach down, feel a knob, feel it turn in his hand and know he's made a choice. And so does a guitar player. And, and so does a, somebody that's launching a bomb, somebody that's turning on a siren. I mean, Pete, there's, there's a place for these things. And what we're looking for are things that are more behind the panel. If we can do more value added and do more systems integration, that's what we're trying to see rather than going away from switches. But yes, technology, digital technology has had a huge disruption. It's taken a fair share of what we used to do. Wow. Well, again, I I know you're you're busy and I don't want to take up too much of your time today, but I did want to introduce people to to the world of switches and in our in our relationship, you've been a very good supporter of the program here at NC State and at MEP program, and and we look to you for for guidance in a lot of ways that we we help our clients, and, and we really appreciate your your support there. And and again, uh, Electro Switch again, as you say, uh, continues to move forward. You know, even you know even in a, during a pandemic, and as other companies are still struggling a bit and. You know, we're, we're happy to support you wherever way we can here at NCMEP. Thank you, Phil. Uh, you, I think NCMEP does a fantastic job. Having been uh, associated with MEP, it's been one of the proudest moments of my life. I, I love manufacturing and to see what MEP does for manufacturing and to see what IES does for manufacturing and, and, and businesses. IES does things that you just don't get someplace else. Nobody has that kind of capability. And to be able to have somebody like that that sees a lot of things that can use best practices has been tremendous for our company. And it's been good for my, I've, I've, I've used IES several times in my career and, and in being on MEP is, is, has been just an honor. So I appreciate everything you guys do too, because it's a very hard job. Yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, I'll just tell you that the uh, the check's in the mail there. for, for, for <laughs> nice. Yeah, don't I wish. Yeah, that's one thing yeah. I haven't done very well is residual income, man. So, you know. All right, all right. Uh, but thanks again, Kyle, and again, for, for indulging us with the conversation and uh, continued success for Electro Switch and, and the work that you do. And again, we'll, we'll look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.